Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our 17th True Crime Digest. So many. So many. We used to do these once a month, and then we started spanning them out because we wanted there to be more time in between updates. In case you don't know, what these episodes are is they are a time for us to talk about case updates for cases we've already discussed. Sometimes we introduce them in a True Crime Digest update, and then every once in a while, we'll have major true crime news. We'll just pepper in a little bit, and we'll give a, a brief case synopsis. So today, we're going to be doing case updates, and then we're going to be talking about some missing people. But I also wanted to say, in my intro rant, as I'm going here... For the fourth time. Fifth time? For the fourth... No, fifth time. Fifth time, baby. Fifth time. We just scrapped like 20 minutes of recording because Moo wouldn't stop digging in her bed. I was just like, you know what? That was a practice. Am I doing better this time? No, I'm still rambling. But anyway, what I wanted to tell you is that not every case we cover has an update when we record a True Crime Digest episode, but we do check. And at this point, our list is well over 60 cases. So I want to think it's around 70 because for today, there were at least 60 cases that had nothing. Right. But we still research to see like, okay, is there anything new? And then we'll search the killer's name, but also the victim's names and any monikers and places and things like that. Mm-hmm. So what I'm telling you is that True Crime Digest episodes come with so much love. They do. And when we are researching, too, it's not just news stories. It's court documents. It's groups that the family of the victims have made. There's there's just so many elements to it and so many places to check. So with that being said, with how many we have, only having so many with updates is actually a little sad in a way for some of the cases. Oh, absolutely. There's nothing going on and nothing's changed in a few months. But on others, there's some positive things too. Absolutely. As a note, my dog is terrorizing me. She's now scratching at the door and crying. When in the room, she nested in a bed for 10 minutes without stopping and then got up and did it again. There is nothing I can do to please her. If you hear a light scratching or a sad whimper in the background, it is Moo making... It's it's Moo. I don't know about you, but after surgery, I am not comfortable and no one will tell me to be comfortable. Oh my gosh. Don't make me sound like a terrible mother. I'm not saying she should be comfortable. I'm saying that I just need her to like maybe lay still and stop moving around every three seconds. That probably isn't helping her feel better either. Oh, no, she was she was fully. There's a screenshot that Amanda took of me like side eyeing her because her donut pops into screen into for the frame because she's got a donut cone with her regular cone because she can get the cone off. So I have to have like two things and somehow she can still like her incisions. No, I could see her every time I'd be talking. She'd be not moving. Oh, my God. So still. And then Lindsay would go to talk and she'd be like, oh, hey, mom, you want to talk? Let me make my bed real quick. <laughs> oh, and then she would stop. And then when I would start talking again, she would get up again. That was my favorite. Yes. I was just like, we, eventually we just, again, we just stopped the recording and started over. We're just like, you know what? There's been so many pauses that there's more pauses than actual talking. It happens. But anyway, I tell you that so that you can understand weird animal sounds that you might hear in my background. True creeps. There's weird animal sounds here. 
That's our second dairy tagline. Yeah. There's lots of animals in our houses. <sighs> so many animals. But we love them. But we also wish they would stop this behavior. But so let's just get right on into our case updates for today then. The first one we're going to talk about is Jelani Day. And just as a quick refresher, Jelani Day was living and going to school in Bloomington, Illinois. He was studying to be a doctor. And unfortunately, he was last seen on campus on August 24th of 2021. And then his car was found a few days later. His belongings were found in various places. And then his body was found about a week later floating in the Illinois River. His death has not been ruled or investigated as a homicide as of yet, which is disturbing on so many levels because the details surrounding this case make it seem like they should have done this from the start. Absolutely. So in early August of 2023, Jelani's mother, Carmen Bolden, who has been his best representative, right? Like she has been out in the media, keeping his name out there as much as possible. She's had, what, galas, all kinds of stuff just to keep his name out there. And his family created the Jelani Day Foundation. Yes, yes. So recently in early August, she said, it's a void because he's absent. I don't have him anymore. He went from missing to them finding a body to them identifying that body as him. And then I've had to bury him. And now all I've been doing is working on trying to figure out why I had to bury him. It's true. Like this should have already been figured out, right? At least steps taken to figure this out. It's heartbreaking that they haven't even really had the opportunity to fully focus on grief, right? Like they've had to just hit the ground running, trying to get justice for him. Mm -hmm. And, you know, or for even an investigation. Right, right. And it's been two years now with no answers. Like putting myself in that place, like two years with no answers and no one wanting to help you. Yeah. Breaks my heart for her. And so what she wants and what she's working towards is for Jelani's investigation to be reclassified to a homicide investigation. Which, again, should have been from the start. Absolutely. Now, there were a couple new things that have come out recently. One was there were shoe prints that were found near where Jelani's body was found, which we didn't know before. Also, Jelani's body was found without shoes. So his shoes were found about a mile away from where his remains were found. So those prints likely were not Jelani's. We're wondering whose prints are those. So there's a little bit more too, but unfortunately, Carmen has not released the details at this time. I'm sure there's reasons, and I'm hoping that that means something's going to change in this case soon, that there's more details out there that isn't publicly known yet. We know that in a lot of cases, there's various reasons why they'll withhold information from the public. And a lot of the time, it either means like there's a suspect or something's going to trial or, you know, something. So I'm hoping that that means that there's more going on in the background with this case. And hopefully soon it will be investigated properly as a homicide investigation. I'm hoping that the information is something that they can move on so that they can really start to get somewhere with the investigation. Yeah. So our next case update has to do with Naomi Irian. And so Naomi was 18 years old when she disappeared from a Walmart parking lot on March 12th of 2022. There was some suspicious surveillance footage from that morning. On March 15th of 2022, her car was found with evidence suggesting that something criminal happened to her. Then that same month on the 29th, her body was found in a remote part of Churchill County. The update that we have for you is that the man accused of killing Naomi, Troy Driver, died by suicide on August 6th of 2023. Per Lyon County officials, he had attempted suicide twice before. 
and he had been placed on suicide watch. And it was after that suicide watch had been lifted that he tried again. And this time that he did take his own life. So before his first suicide attempt, he gave his ex-girlfriend who had come to visit him a confession letter. And in that letter, he said that, quote, the guilt was crushing and that there had always been a terrible darkness inside of him. He also said in the letter that he would take his own life before subjecting his family to having to hear what he had done to Naomi. Ugh. Awful. Yeah. So his ex-girlfriend provided that letter to law enforcement pretty immediately. After Driver's death, there was a press conference where Lyon County officials spent about an hour outlining the evidence that they had gathered against Driver that would have been presented at trial. Right. So this way, hopefully, the family could get some closure and, you know, everyone would know this was the person. Yeah, it would ease any questions that people had in the back of their head. Some of the things they had talked about during this press conference were that they had found Driver's DNA on Naomi's hands and body in a manner that suggested sexual assault. That Driver had a criminal history and had begun hurting animals when he was young. Mm. That he was obsessed with serial killers. Driver had also asked his ex-girlfriend's daughter about bus routes to the place where Naomi used to work, which was Panasonic. Driver also replaced his tires after the media released photos of the truck that was suspected in the case. And this was so that the tire treads wouldn't match up so they would look like they were a different truck, right? Right, right. And then this last one, very damning. Driver also had a lock and key to the site where Naomi's remains were found because he had once worked there. Yeah, it seems pretty um, pretty apparent it was him. Well, I hope that her family can start to heal now that they have answers. I mean, they, they kind of already did, but still, now that it's just, it's done, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, knowing that they aren't going to have to go through the trial yes. portion of this and kind of relive all of it and then it being all over the news, you know, for an extended period of time. I do wish that Driver could have been held accountable for his crimes and that he would have rotted in prison and lived unhappily for a long period of time because, yes, fucking heinous what he did. So disgusting. Yeah. But I hope her family can start to heal. Absolutely. Our next case update has to do with Samuel Little. As a refresher, Samuel Little has been dubbed the most prolific serial killer in the United States. He's confessed to 93 murders. Over 60 of these confessions have been confirmed. And there's plenty of serial killers who have made tons of confessions. But per the law enforcement officer who interviewed him for those confessions, there was nothing that he had ever said that was proven to be wrong or false. So these are 93 real confessions. And then also, we have a whole episode on this where we get into all of the details. But he gave extensive information about each of his crimes. And because he had a photographic memory, he remembered them in detail and disgusting. Yeah. Little committed murders in 29 different cities throughout 19 different states over the span of 50 years. He was very purposeful in who he chose as his victims. And some of his victims' deaths were ruled overdoses, accidental, or death by undetermined causes. And part of the reason for that was they weren't found immediately often. So there was an advanced state of decomposition. But also because of the the women that he targeted... Oftentimes, there were women who were unhoused or were sex workers or who had substance abuse issues. So law enforcement was quick to chalk it up to their quote unquote lifestyle. There's no excuse to just not investigate people's murders. So let's talk about an update. This one, I mean, it's good that we finally know, but another one of Samuel Little's victims has been identified. And she had been referred to as the Macon Jane Doe. She was unidentified for 46 years. It's just heartbreaking. So recently, she was identified as Yvonne Pless. And she was only 20 years old when Samuel Little murdered her in Macon, Georgia. 
she's been unidentified longer than she was alive. Let's just like break your heart. Just that hurts my heart. Her family, no one knew. So Bibb County Sheriff's Office and the Criminal Justice Coordinating Council, or CJCC, collaborated to identify Yvonne. And she was actually Little's first victim in 1977. Damn. Ugh. This just gives me chills, like thinking of how many victims he had, right? How he was able to get away with it for so long, and that he had that power to like be able to relive it over and over again just disgusts me. Yeah. So in 2019, Captain Charmaine Jones of the Bibb County Sheriff's Office and Amy Hutzel of the CJCC went to Texas to determine if any of his confessions matched cold cases from Macon County. They matched them to two, which were Little's first two victims. Fredonia Smith was the second, and they knew her identity, so her family was notified. So again, giving closure to families, we always want that, but it's still sad that it takes so long. However, since they didn't know who the Macon Jane Doe was, they really weren't able to notify anyone until recently. In 2022, Hutzel and Jones worked with Othram for Forensic Genetic Genealogy. They were able to find a relative of Yvonne's, and that's how they were able to figure out who she was. Uh, My mind goes to so many things like how many people, you know, were missing her for so long and how many people passed before they were able to figure out what happened to her. Just I know that we've talked about other cases where, oh, try not to cry, uh, where the family thought that their loved one just got up and left and just didn't want to be a part of their life anymore. Like they got into a fight, like something had happened and they thought that person chose to not be a part of their life and just went on and lived this happy life without them. I can't imagine what that would feel like to have someone choose like, I just choose you to not be in my life and then to find out that something happened to that person. And that unique brand of like, what could I have done differently if I would have if I would have not second guessed their love for me? And that's just it has to be incredibly heartbreaking to be like, I thought they just left. And it was never that they never left. Yeah, it's really hard. But I'm really glad that they're still, you know, taking the time and trying to identify those that were never identified from his victims and really trying to find their families and let them know exactly what happened. So another update that we have is from the doppelganger murders. And this is from our Double Trouble episode, where we talked about a case dubbed the doppelganger murders. And just a quick recap of the case. This case took place in Germany. So they don't release last names. So when we're talking about it, that's why we're excluding them. In 2022, a 23-year-old beautician identified in German newspapers as Sherabon K., created several social media profiles with different aliases so that she could find women who looked like her. So Sherabon went on to find a woman, Khadija O, who she would then brutally murder and place in the back of her Mercedes. During the attack, Khadija's face was completely disfigured. So then what she did is she took this car, the Mercedes, and put it in a place where her family would find it. So Sherbon's family identified the remains as belonging to her originally, but then they looked at the fingerprints and they didn't match. Eventually, police discovered that Sherbon's plan was to kill someone who looked like her and leave the body in a place for her parents to find so that she could go and start a new life. Disgusting. Yeah. And again, if you want more details on this case, we, we did have a pretty big discussion on it in our Double Trouble episode. But let's get to some of the case updates. So... Khadija's mother, Sharifa Bouch, hadn't seen her daughter for 10 years. And the day of her death, her mother 
had a feeling like something was wrong, and specifically like something was wrong with Khadijah. She told reporters that that same that day, Khadijah's photo fell off of the wall, and she said her mother's intuition kicked in, and she knew that Khadijah was in crisis. Oh, wow. Oh, can you even imagine? Sharifa says that she hasn't really been able to find out a lot of details from German law enforcement. She said, I fear that my daughter's rights may be lost and her killers may go unpunished. Oh, no. And she said the only contact that they had given her was an email address and it was spelled incorrectly. Oh, the outrage. Ugh. Mm-hmm. And so law enforcement said that this was a misunderstanding. Sharifa has seizures because she had a brain hemorrhage a few years ago. And after she heard this news, she got sicker. And despite this, she still traveled to Germany to try to like press them for details. Yeah. But she was having like some health complications. And she was like, can you kind of like help me figure out like where I need to go and a place I can stay and like these kinds of things. And they were completely unresponsive to her and the way that she describes it. And it's just it's heartbreaking that presumably she's in a different country trying to learn about what's going on with her daughter. And she's not getting information that, that she feels like she needs. Yeah. Losing your child is bad enough. It's even worse to think that there's going to be administrative barriers from a different country in the mix. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, they should be open and helping her. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so much with this case that was just insane at the beginning, right? Like, they didn't even know it was her at first. And again, we talked about it before, but you would think that they'd at least have the decency to help her family understand what what's going on with the case, right? Like, they know who did it. Ugh, so frustrating. Mm-hmm. And her mother doesn't even know when the trial begins. Khadija's younger sister, Alam Bujima, said she found out about Khadija's death from social media. Oh. And she said that she was the first in her family to learn about the news. And that when she did, she screamed and cried. That is not the way. No, it's not the way. So Sharban, who is charged with Khadija's murder, has some new charges. She allegedly paid someone to kill one of her relatives a month before Khadija's murder. What? What? And I wonder, so when we talked about this case initially, she wanted to go start a new life away from her family. I wonder if this is why she wanted to start a new life, because she knew the other shoe was going to drop. Probably. And she was like, they're going to catch me. So I might as well, like, I need to try to get out of this. So I wonder if that's why she was trying to get away is because she knew that, like, eventually she would be caught. Woof. That it's just so many layers of awful. Agreed. Well, I do hope that they get their shit together and they're able to help her family figure out what the fuck's going on and them themselves figure out what the fuck's going on because it's not fair. It's sad. So let's get into some Valo updates now because we have a few. And oh, I didn't realize it's been so long since we've actually talked about it with you guys. Like Lindsay and I have talked about this like daily for our whole lives now. But I think when we last left off, she was just found guilty. So we were celebrating that for a while. And we were waiting on that sweet, sweet sentencing. We were. And it finally came and, and went. So at the sentencing hearing, we heard victim impact statements from Samantha William, Tammy's sister. She read her own, but then she also read her father's impact statement. Vicki Hoban, who's Tammy's aunt. That one was very sad. Kay Woodcock, who did a phenomenal job. And as we had discussed before, she also included a lot from Larry. And lastly, we heard Colby Ryan's statement, but he was not there. It was read by Rob Wood. A lot of people were saying not so nice things about him not being there. 
but I, I completely understand that he wasn't there. I could see just another form of punishment that is due for Laurie being that the only child she has left, she never gets to fucking see again. Mm-hmm. And he can do that. And if I was him, I wouldn't want to hear her fucking talk either. Oh, you're giving things away, Lindsay. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, everyone knows this, but Lori fucking spoke for the first time. I actually like gasped when he's like, and do you have anything to say? And she said yes. And I was like, I did not expect this. It was complete and utter bullshit that came out of her mouth. It was infuriating. Uh, as I was listening to it, Lindsay was still at work. So when she got off, she saw my um, 300 paragraphs of screaming. <laughs> her live tweeting. All caps. Because I was so just disturbed by what Lori was saying. So she went on for so much. But a few things that just stood out to me is she was like, Jesus Christ knows the truth of what happened here. Jesus Christ knows that no one was murdered in this case. This part was the one, though. Accidental deaths happen. Suicides happen. Fatal side effects from medications happen. Ugh. No. In your case, that's not what happened, Lori. And if the deaths were accidental, then you just tell the police that. Right. And they can very easily see if they are actually accidental or whether you are a terrible fucking mother and a murderer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All of it. All of it. She also, like, went into a story about when she had Tylee and how she died while she was in the hospital in labor. And, like, I had never heard the story before and no one I knew had ever heard the story before. And later on, it was determined that none of her family had heard that story before either. So mm -hmm. she's just saying things or I mean, I feel like that would be so traumatic and crazy that my family would know, right? Like if that happened to me, but none of them seem to know. So I don't think it happened. Mm -mm. Uh, she talked about how like great heaven is and how the kids are doing great and loving it there. Uh. Mm -hmm. And that they visited her too, the kids and yeah, how they're even JJ when she brought him up, she said that he's an adult spirit. And that he's very, very tall. And that, again, he's visited her. He's engaged. I don't... The stuff that she said. And the one the one thing that really got me, like, all capsing, is she called Tammy her eternal friend. Over and over again. Mm -hmm. Tammy would not like you, Lori, at all, for any reason. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Anyways, all of that to say, the judge didn't buy any of that. <laughs> Thank goodness. He sided with all of the family members that took the time to write the victim impact statements. And reason. And reason. And reason and truth, you know. And also one thing, sorry, to go back a little bit. Summer Shiflet. A lot of people were very upset saying like she should have been there as Tylee's representative. And she was not present. But she did say in an interview later that she did write a victim impact statement privately to the judge. Oh, okay. So like, Tylee was represented. We just didn't see it. So because we didn't see it didn't mean it didn't happen. Because I, I did see a lot of people saying like Tylee was without anyone. And she wasn't. Like Colby sent his statement. Summer sent hers. But hers just wasn't read that day. And she did do a very sweet interview. If you want to learn a lot about Tylee, she did it afterwards uh, with Nate Eaton. And I was sobbing listening to her talk about Tylee. So something good. But anyways, back to the sentence. One of the really th the things that I found incredibly interesting about her sentencing is that she declined 
the there's like a sentencing assessment that they do to de- determine, you know, what their mental health was, if they understood things, what their life circumstances were. There's a lot of information that goes into it. But she declined it, which I thought was fascinating because she's, in addition to being a terrible mother, she's also a terrible advocate for herself, which I mean, for that, I'm kind of pleased with because I would love for her to spend the rest of her life in prison. Agreed. Yeah. And he brought that up. He's like, and I had nothing to go on. Mm hmm. But well deserved. So let's go to these sentences. For first degree murder of Tylee, she got life in prison without parole. For first degree murder of JJ, life in prison without parole. For conspiracy charges, life in prison without parole. Grand theft, five years fixed, five years indeterminate. She will also pay restitution and fines. And the murder sentence will be served consecutively rather than concurrently. As a reminder, the death penalty was not on the table for this case. But it is for Chad's, just saying. So we'll see when when that comes up. We'll obviously be talking about that. But what a side. Like, I have never felt so relieved after that sentencing. Mm -hmm. When Judge Boyce was talking, as he started, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah, he really went into it at first where I was like, he's going to let her off. Mm -hmm. He's going to he's going to. And I was so upset. And then finally, he like little by little, he, he really built that. In a in a way with a lot of suspense. I think he was trying to show that he was as impartial as he possibly could be and outlined some things that were not just fuck you, Laurie. I know, but it gave me a heart attack. He eventually did get to there. I know. I know. I guess my point is just that he displayed that he was impartial very well. Yeah, he did a very good job. Everything about it turned out really well. But afterwards, watching all the interviews with like Kay and Larry, uh, Samantha did an interview, I want to say, just there's a bunch done outside the courthouse. And then, of course, the one with Summer later on that evening. I was so relieved and I was like sobbing and I was happy and I was still mad. Like so many emotions that day. It's a long day. So, of course, after recording, Nate Eaton, a couple days later, posted that he ran into Jim Archibald at a random gas station in Utah. And he told Nate, I believe on Friday, that he had filed an appeal in Lori's case. So it was a holiday weekend. And officially on Tuesday, the 5th, we found that, yes, there has been an appeal filed, which is relatively normal and will keep you updated. Lori is now going to face charges in Maricopa County, Arizona. And that's going to be for Charles's murder, as well as the alleged attempted murder of Brandon Boudreaux. So the process to extradite her has already started. Love that for her. Love that for her. Mm -hmm. So once they get more details, when she'll be moved over, when, you know, anything is going to start in Arizona, I'm here. So I'm excited to see what they do and if the death penalty will be back on the table here. Are Arizona prisons air conditioned? Not all of them, I don't believe. Oh, I am hoping for her to have to really experience a hot Arizona time in prison. But you know it's not hot, Amanda. What? Excellent segue right here. Antarctica. <laughs> which it's not a case we've covered, but it is a topic we've covered. And there's an interesting little little fact that's new, and because we have a whole episode on Antarctica and we talk about some of the scary creatures there, we simply must tell you about the new animal that has been identified there. It gives me shivers. Oh, it gives me like full body chills. Like (laughs) I literally cringe when I look at it. Yeah. Every single time 
I have not gotten used to it, and I don't think I ever will. You shouldn't. And that's because, although it's named the Strawberry Feather Sar, which sounds very whimsical, yeah, it is not, in fact, whimsical. It reminds me of, like, a My Little Ponies character. The name of it? Yes, it does. It's not. It's the opposite. <laughs> what does it look like? Well, okay. Horrible. When you're looking at articles, they say that it ranges from a purplish color to a dark red, but the photos of it and the videos of it, it's like a light beigey color. I see a red one, too. There's a video of it. Ugh. I, I'm not going to engage in that, honestly. And <laughs> it has, you know... 10 to 20 arms. And can I tell you, that's a big range. <laughs> 10 to 20, it means that the minimum amount is also the discretionary amount of arms. Yep. And some of the arms are long and, and, and spindly, and the others are tiny and at the bottom. So I don't, they're not uniform arms. They're different sizes. It looks like a face hugger. It does. And it can live anywhere from 65 to 6,500 feet in the fucking ocean. It looks like a weird, like, plant in some... Oh, the red one's actually kind of pretty. Mm -hmm. And the beige one is nightmares. Yes, it depends on which one you're looking at. Because there's some that just look like this horrible creature that's like a mm, an octopus mixed with like a... Alien. A leafy plant palm tree. It looks inexplicably sharp, although it is not sharp. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't like it. Is what I'm telling you. Mm -mm. But that's our that's our our levity for this episode. Is this the strawberry feather star? So I talked about it at the top of the episode today. We're going to be covering a few different missing people. I wanted to start this missing person section with a reminder of our policy on families because we do not reach out to victims' families unless they reach out first. Yes. While we may cover cases and talk about individuals and their families, we want to be respectful. By not forcibly re-traumatizing them and prying into their lives in which in ways in which they do not. That being said, if you're a family member of a missing person that we talked about today, or if you have a loved one that has gone missing and you'd like us to cover their case, you can reach out to us on social media or you can email us at truecreepspod at gmail.com. Yeah. I just want to point that out because we've seen people in the past say, well, did you even reach out to the family? And the answer is no, we do not do that because we are trying to be respectful and forcing them to be a part of a conversation that perhaps they do not want to have with us. That is just the stance that we've chosen to take because that's the way in which we can ethically create true crime content. Yes. Because I feel like a lot of times you hear about people being like, well, I asked the family this and it's like, they don't owe you information. And if no, and in a world of social media, victims' families can share information broadly without having to share it with individual media sources. They're like, they can put it on Facebook. Correct. They can make a website. They can do a press release. They can do it in this way. So it just doesn't feel appropriate for us. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So for each of the cases that we're going to cover today, we're going to be posting photos on our social media. We'll also give a visual description, but a visual description that you are hearing is not very effective. Right. I would urge you to take a look at our social media so you can see the photos. We're also going to have contact information on how you can reach out to the various law enforcement agencies in our social media posts, but also in the show notes for today. We'll talk about it as we talk, but again, the best way to see it is in writing to make sure you're not missing digits or anything like that. Exactly, exactly. And just to reiterate, if there is someone that you know is struggling to keep their story out there, let us know because we want to share that too. You know, like if there is someone that kind of like Jelani Day's family that's just 
trying to get more and more people aware of his situation, right? Let us know because we want to help when we can. And the women that we've chosen to cover today have very little shared about them. Our last case has more. And all of these cases don't seem to have a lot of information when we did our Texas Killing Fields episodes. That's where my mind goes. It was all heartbreaking and it was all really hard. But some of the hardest things were reading cases about these women who went missing and there was three lines about them that existed. Yes. Of information, just like day they went missing, day they were born, and like maybe one line about circumstances. And that was it. And there was never anything else. And that doesn't mean to say that it doesn't mean that the family didn't get more. But I feel like nowadays, if families who are pressing in the media aren't getting more, it's hard for me to believe that families who were trusting the law enforcement to let them know what they, you know, what they needed to know were actually getting that. So let's let's talk about our first missing person that we want to talk about today. Taylor Johnson. She's 13 years old and was last seen in Essex, which is in Baltimore County, Maryland. And she was last seen on August 25th, 2023, around 1.45 p.m., wearing black pants that have a pink stripe and then a blue sweatshirt. She's 5'5 and weighs about 100 pounds. And anyone with information on Taylor Johnson's whereabouts is asked to dial, of course, 911 or call the local police at 410-307-2020. And again, her picture will be up on our social media. Our next missing person is Dontasia Hooper. She's also 13 years old and went missing from Chicago this summer. It seems like her being missing was largely spread on August 10th, but some reports say that she was last seen on June 21st. Sources with the June date say that she went missing near the 400 block of West 71st Street, and this is near Chicago's Hamilton Park. So I'm not familiar with that area, but those that are, I really, really encourage you to share her picture. She was wearing black shorts and a black shirt when she went missing. She's 5'7 and weighs about 200 pounds. And anyone with information can call 911 or contact local police at 312-747-8380. And one thing, too, that I would challenge everyone as we're talking about these missing persons cases is if you are in these areas, we're going to share their details, right? We're going to share their picture. If there is a missing persons flyer, we'll try to share that as well. But print it out. Mm -hmm. If you have a printer, print it out. Keep it with you in your car. If you're somewhere where there's a bulletin board with the extra little push pins, throw it up there. If you can, you go to the gym, coffee shop, wherever. I know when Daniel first went missing here, that's something that we did. I want to say it was around Halloween time, too. Mm -hmm. I printed out a few and kept them in my car. Mm -hmm. And when we'd go into places that had bulletin boards, same with Juby. I know I put I, I was in the area where he disappeared and put a few up and it's just people can be very helpful. And I would also say that, you know, I, I think that there is value in making sure many people see their faces. And I'm a person that sometimes when I'm out in the world, I don't notice signs like that. But another way of sharing is on your social media. Yeah. And even if you're not the type of person who typically shares true crime content, I would so thoroughly suggest, especially if you live in these areas to share this because you don't know who people you know, what they've seen. You have this network that is unique to you. It's an opportunity for more people to be able to see these women and and hopefully help them get their way home. Yeah. I'm sometimes the type of person who I don't necessarily notice posters out in the world. I go places with like a purpose. And if you're out and you can put posters up, just do it. But I would say equally as powerful is sharing these photos 
especially if you live in these areas. And even if you're not the type of person who normally shares true crime content, I just can't stress enough how important it is to get as wide of a reach as we can. Mm-hmm. And keep their name out there. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not a ton of information out so far because these are all pretty fresh. Yes. And in a perfect world, we get to edit this episode and we have to take these people's names out because they've already been found. That's an absolute fucking dream. And if not, then we'll we'll continue to talk about them and we'll continue to post their photos and spread information about them. The last missing woman we're going to talk about today is Kimberly Avila. Kimberly, who was 32 at the time that she went missing, went missing in May of 2017 from Brownsville, Texas. Per Kimberly's sister, Yvonne, the last time she saw her sister was right before she went missing. Kimberly was going to meet friends and Yvonne tried to get Kimberly to come home because she just had a bad feeling. And Kimberly had told her that she would see her in the morning. Everything will be fine. But Yvonne never saw her again. Hmm. The following morning, Kimberly's mother was pretty frantic because she realized Kimberly didn't come home. The family waited for a little while for her to come home. But as it got later in the day, they went downtown to the area that Yvonne had dropped her off to look for her. And when they were there, they happened upon a police officer who was patrolling and they told him, you know, what what had happened. And he told them that they would need to wait until the next day, which was Monday, to talk to a detective. It's heartbreaking that they were like, hey, our family member is missing. And they were like, you should wait until a business day. Fuck that. Absolutely not. So the family spoke with the media and detectives, then started putting up missing persons flyers everywhere they could. The area where Kimberly went missing from had some sex workers that may have seen something. But shortly after her disappearance, there was a sting. So the sex workers that worked in that area were reluctant to talk to law enforcement. Right. Kimberly is a trans woman, and there is an LGBTQIA community organizer, Oscar Lopez, who has helped bring more attention to Kimberly's disappearance. And he said, when someone who is LGBTQ goes missing, it's usually foul play. We think the worst, especially in border communities where machismo and transphobia are rampant. Hurts my heart. Absolutely. The world should not be like that. Absolutely not. In December of 2018, there was a blog post from a journalist who said that his sources had told him that they saw Kimberly arguing with a man, then get shoved into a vehicle. And then that vehicle started driving in the direction of the U.S. and Mexico border. Unfortunately, this didn't lead anywhere. They weren't able to find more information out from this. In 2019, the police had a press conference at the Avila home. They shared that they had received new information from a phone call, but that they needed more people to come forward. And they didn't share what that new information was. As recently as a few months ago, Kimberly's family has said that there's a $10,000 reward for anyone with information. Yvonne has said, we're going to keep pushing it. We're not going to stop. We're not holding back. We miss her a lot. And if anyone knows anything, please just know you can call. That's all we ask. Kimberly's family's been waiting since 2017, you know, for any answers. Just horrific. And if you have any information about Kimberly, you can call Brownsville, Texas Police Department at 956-548-7000. Oh, the pictures of her family holding her picture. Mm -hmm. They're like wearing shirts with her photo on it. Just makes me like tear up. Oh, my heart just hurts for them. And so again, we're going to have photos of everyone on our social media We'll have information on how to contact law enforcement if you have seen them or you have any information. And that will be both in our show notes and on social media. Yeah. And share the heck out of it. Yes, please. Yeah. It doesn't have to be our post. If you see their missing persons poster somewhere or whatever, whatever you have to do to share it is great. Yeah. Share it all, all the time. Mm -hmm. 
I know anytime there's anything like anyone missing in our area, like, yep, I understand. Like now that we've researched and unfortunately, you know, read all these stories of the families that are just like, I just wish someone cared. And like, just knowing how easy it is. I don't care if someone doesn't want to see it. Fuck them. I'd rather the other however many people get it out there. If you don't want to look at the thing I'm posting, feel free to scroll by. Mm -hmm. But worst case scenario, you have seen this photo as you have scrolled by and your brain might do a thing and go, hey, wait a second. I just saw that kid a week ago. That's our, our episode for today. But as a reminder, we'll always have the contact info for the various missing persons cases that we've discussed today on our social media. But if you do have any cases that you'd like us to cover, reach out to us on social media, on our website, email us. Our email is truecreepspod at gmail.com. So we're going to pivot a little bit. We have some exciting housekeeping information as well. We're going to talk about our deadlines. Oh, who doesn't love a good fun deadline? Again, we did last episode. And I I feel like a, like a teacher, you know, like being like, mm-hmm. your deadline's coming up. Make sure to keep up. Don't forget you have this report due. Yeah, exactly. These are fun reports, right? So our deadline for our fall card is coming up. And that is in our Patreon, our Fire Yeti tier. Anyone that's a Fire Yeti or higher gets a fall card, which is uniquely created by us. And we are very stoked about this year's card. The deadline for that is September 15th, which, oh my gosh, how are we already here? How are we in September? I don't know. It's officially spooky season. The day after my birthday, it's spooky season. So we've been there, but still. September is here. There's no denying it. I just can't believe it. My head is still in like the April area, maybe May, maybe end of the year already. My goodness. So another fun thing, and this is really exciting because I've been working on this part all week. Did a photo shoot last night, okay? She did. (laughs) So we have our spooky basket giveaway coming back for the second year in a row. And it started on September 1st, and it's going to run until Halloween. The basket is valued at over $100 and has lots of fun stuff in it. And I know I said it last episode, like when I shop, I'll be like one for me, one for Lindsay, one for basket. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And funny enough, Lindsay and I bought each other and ourselves one of the items in this basket because we saw it on separate occasions. Yeah, so you'll be triplets together. Triplets, yes. So if you want to check out this basket, it's all over our social media, or you can head to our website, truecreeps.com. There's a contest area where you can see all the deets and the hot goss about it. Now, the fun part. There's a ton of ways for you to enter into our contest. You can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can become a Patreon. Or if you're already in our Patreon, you got an entry. You can tag us in your Instagram stories. That one's pretty easy. Or my favorite one of all, which earns you the most entries, by the way. Yes. You can submit a story for our Podiversary episode that is coming up. Now, our Podiversary episode is coming up in early October. So the the cutoff is October 2nd for that entry to count. So we need your story by October 2nd. But that'll earn you the most entries. So, you know, more entries, more spooky stuff. Now, speaking of our Podiversary episode, that's coming up in early October. We'd love for you to share your scary stories with us. Anything that's happened to you or someone you know that's okay with you sending in their story. You can send us a written version or you can send us your lovely voice. And we definitely love hearing you. So we want that one. Now, for the entries, remember, I said this is worth the most entries. Written stories will receive three entries to our spooky basket. And recorded stories will get you five entries. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. I know you're excited. There's a lot of good stuff in there. And with that, have a good weekend. 
Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes, you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. <laughs> ben had to call me to yell too fast, too furious into the phone while listening to something. I don't know. But he kept calling, so I was like, something wrong? Also, I'm going to let this fucking gremlin in because she's fucking scratching. Sorry, Loki's parkouring right now. Sorry. Loki bit me when I was saying that. <laughs> I let her back in because she was crying so pitifully at the door and she's recovering from surgery and I didn't want her upset. And here she fucking goes again. Okay. She's just rearranging the house. It's fine. You know. Maybe you should have arranged it better. I took the blanket out of the situation. That was part of it. Because she's like, I got to get it just so. And I was like, you're done. I had that blanket for me. I just buy her a twin bed. I Just for her. I mean, she would still nest. I had a blanket that I brought in just to cover my feet because I didn't feel like wearing socks. And she took it. Like, she dragged it to her bed and was like, this is for me. And I was like, oh, okay. Fuck me, I guess. Like, but anyway. Honestly, how dare you be cold? How fucking dare I think I can have anything cozy for myself? Oh, no. I'm just mad that you were cold. I would do anything to be cold. Oh, Amanda, do you know what I left that? It was 115 yesterday. I had to go. End of August. I had to take her to go get her sutures earlier, and I had a new dress. So I was like, I'm going to wear it. It was a sweater dress with long sleeves. It was thick. You know why? Don't talk to me. I'm pissed. Because when I was leave, when I was out, the high was 71. You know, we might get some wind later, okay? Ooh, some nice hot wind for you. Some nice hot dusty wind. It feels I'm not even joking. It feels like a blow dryer when it gets windy in the summertime here. Arizona. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It sounds like a name a little kid would name something, yeah, you know? It's the opposite of my little ponies. One of my friends' kids. <laughs> There was a spider in their house and like they were like, we're nice to spiders. And she named it Jelly Hat. And <laughs> like, that's just the best name for a spider I've ever heard or honestly anything. And I was like, 10 out of 10. Was it Livy's? No, no, no. Livy had a, a spider friend, didn't she? Or what did she name something? Oh, no. Oh, oh, my brother is we're, you know, we're we're a spooky family. So he has a massive spy like Halloween spider decor that lives on top of Olivia's playground. That's it. And she got she went she used to call spiders itsy downs because, you know, the itsy bitsy spiders. OK, that's what I had in my head. I was like, I know she had a cute name for a spider. She was calling them itsy downs. And she went from like loving this song to being terrified of bugs <laughs> like an ant. She was like freaking out over. And then she's like looking at her playground. She goes, it's a big sit down. Like, it's a bug. I was like, oh, you don't even need to worry. That's Marty. He sings. He dances. And she goes, why he do that? And I, well, because he likes to sing and dance. She goes, and she pauses. And I go, why do you sing and dance? She was like, but why? Because I like to. And I was like, well, so does he. You could probably dance with him sometime. And she like really considered it. When I saw her parents, like when I walked back into their house, I was like, just so you know, the spider's name's Marty and he's a singer and a dancer. They're like, what are you talking about? They're like, got it. I'd be like, great. Thank you. Mm -hmm. 
we'll keep it going. So Itsy Down and Jelly Hat are the best things. Jelly Hat Itsy Down is the full name, I would imagine. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's the the proper way to identify a spider. I hope that someone can identify a spider one day and name it. Jelly Hat Itsy Down? Yeah, I was going back and forth between which, which way it should be. But yeah, Jelly Hat Itsy Down. That's the type of spider. That I think I'd be okay with. Well, because if you think is it if you if you say like a brown spider, no brown spider. Okay. No, no, no. But I'm saying spider comes second. Yes. And itsy down equals spider. Yes. Okay. So the type. Yep. Jelly hat itsy down has to go first. Okay. Okay. I can see that. See, that would be a cute character in a My Little Ponies episode. Yeah. See, I was like, that's a kid's book right there. Jelly had the spider. I'd read everything about those adventures. We, yeah, we want someone to write this book for us and I will read it to my kid. 